0: to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programs and achieve best practice.
1: Most of us will never know the horrors of combat. Many servicemen and women suffer life-changing injuries, both visible and invisible, while serving their countries. How do they find the motivation to move on and to not be defined by their injuries? How can they be recognised for their achievements? Prince Harry asked these questions. Following a visit in 2013 to the US-based Warrior Games for wounded, ill and injured military personnel and veterans, he was inspired to create an expanded international version. The first Invictus Games took place in London in 2014 and attracted more than 400 competitors from 13 nations. The second Invictus Games took place in 2016 in Orlando, Florida, and built on the excitement of the London Games with more than 500 competitors from 14 nations. The Invictus Games demonstrate soldiers and veterans' tireless drive to overcome and the power of sport on their journey to recovery. The Invictus Games is about much more than just sport. It captures hearts, challenges, minds, and it changes lives. It's a fascinating story, and that's why I invited Tim Hodgson... Chief Commercial and Marketing Officer at Invictus Games, Sydney 2018, on the show to take us inside their commercial program. I'm your host, Daniel Loyston, and welcome to episode 35 of Inside Sponsorship. It's always great to have you, the listener, even if it's just to say, hi, I'm a listener or enjoy the show. It's great to hear from you. And that's what two of our listeners did recently. And the first was Jane Robinson, Sponsorship and Events Manager at Bicycle New South Wales. And Jane wrote to say, I just want to thank you as i've learned and refreshed so much and it's a wonderful opportunity to hear from some really great insightful people and learn about best practice thanks jane much appreciated and i hope all is well at bicycle new south wales the second put a massive smile on my face and made me laugh out loud and and it kind of made me walk a few inches taller with a puffed out chest and that's because richard hughes ceo of the children's tumor foundation connected with me on LinkedIn and sent me a very long message uh, and I won't read the whole thing uh, but I have picked out one bit that I especially liked and Richard wrote, can I tell you, I learnt more in that hour than I have in years and I mean that. The way the information was delivered without being patronising... Or treating me like an idiot and done so with some humour thrown in was not only refreshing, but had me hanging on every word and was pitched perfectly for the audience. I even got home and told my wife about it and could not stop telling her. I think she thought I had smoked something strange. So thanks so much for that, Richard. I was sure to pass on your very kind words to all all the guys at Sponsor who helped contribute to the podcast, and it certainly made them proud as well. So thanks again for that. Speaking of others at Sponserve, up next is our MD, Mark Thompson, who joins us to walk you through his latest blog, Five Steps to Managing a Crisis in Sponsorship. Here's Mark. Mark Thompson, welcome again to the podcast. Hey, Daniel. It's like Groundhog Day, isn't I, it? I know. It's, so, it's a
0: highlight of my fortnight. <laughs> you must have a very average fortnight. Anyway. <laughs> I, was very, I was very sarcastic. Crisis is only... There's another one coming around the corner soon, right? if, mate, if you're in sport, you can bet on it. Because mm-hmm.
1: we've got a few going on at the moment in uh, Australia, don't we?
0: Yeah, uh, drugs related this time. Um, but, you know, they're never far away. If you're in rugby league circles in Australia, if you're a journalist in rugby league in Australia, you you love the game. Basically write your next story. It's the gift that never stops, stops giving, mate. <laughs>
1: So, have you ever been personally involved in a crisis? Managing a crisis like at a rights holder or a brand?
0: Yeah, rights holder side I have. I, um, I Well, it was a crisis at the time. It's not a big one in the scheme of things, but the, the sacking of a coach. Yes. Much loved coach um, it was, which was, it was a big deal. Um, also was came in on the very soon after effects of a death of a player that got killed on the road. Yes, um, playing for the team I was working for. So the the uh, after effects of all of that I had to work through as well. So um, yeah, steep learning curves on both occasions and, and then listening to the press and, and talking to a few clients who are affected by the current uh, dramas in Australia I, led me to writing a sponsorship in a crisis blog.
1: Very good. And so there's a few things that we need to, to consider, we need to um, keep in mind, cover off. Is the first thing just to go to ground and say nothing?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> what's um, a,
1: what's a, what's what's where do we start?
0: Look, what what I will say is that um, the, it would have
1: been easier if we could just go to ground and say nothing.
0: Yeah, and and I've actually been in situations where where you know the executive have got together and said, look, we're going to deal with this, but let's keep it between us and and um you know let's block the other stuff out. Let's and and thinking they're doing the right thing. Let's not worry the staff with it. Um. But at the end of the day, you need the the transparency is what gets you through. As long as you've got integrity as a business um, and you handle it the right way, then sponsors will stick strong with you. Um, you know, we've spoken to a a sponsor who has supported a club through a crisis because of how they handled it mm. um, and and that's, you know, quite an important differentiator. So... Does I mean,
1: transparency start with communication?
0: Communication is, is everything in a crisis from a sponsorship management point of view. Obviously, more and more these days. So, you know, back when I was um, going through my sort of sponsorship management through crisis, the social media wasn't really big. It was existing, but it, it wasn't sort of as strong as it is now. If you let the press and the social press actually you know fly on these things your sponsors are getting their information off really ill-informed sources so you've got to own it and so the, the best way is through communication the worst thing you can do is go silent so you know there's a few things um that you need to do and communication is definitely the priority but how you communicate is 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 actually what's going to make the difference
1: so the overarching umbrella is is transparency communication engagement yeah Then what and how do you actually communicate with your sponsors then?
0: So the the first thing is to inform them. So uh, even hopefully before it's broken in the press or it's public knowledge, let your sponsors know uh, what's happened. Um, Don't be too brief or too detailed, um, but you need to let them know what happened and what the process will be from here so that they're aware, they know you've got it, they know you're owning it and they're trusting you as their source of communication and no one else because you've been the one to reach out with them proactively.
1: I was going to say I'm guessing that um, trust is reinforced or established in a crisis when you actually get on the front foot.
0: Exactly right and you can you know you can really um, you know caveat these things with it's you know this is internal it's not to be shared it's not to be leaked anything like that Um, you know it it is confidential communication and you know it, it, it may be then that you, you sort of prioritise who you're talking to and um, who, how you're communicating with them as well uh, and and take it from there.
1: So we've informed them, we've engaged them. What's, what's the next thing we need to cover off?
0: So you ne- need to let your sponsors know what the management plan of the crisis is. So let them know with honesty, expediency, so on in your initial communication, and with transparency. So it, it can be as simple as saying... You know, the board a meeting at one o'clock, a decision we made then, at which time we'll update you. But but don't let it sort of fester where they're kind of left to have their own crisis meeting about you without you knowing. Yep. So they can defer any decisions, defer any um, communications, position statements, anything until you've finished your ownership of the of the situation
1: so we've informed them we've engaged them we've set out our plan we've told them what the plan's going to be we've gone away and executed it Yep, all solved
0: no you need to update them (laughs) so you've got to see the crisis through some crises actually last six twelve months you know salary
1: cap uh, scandals well
0: if there's court cases involved Mm -hmm. um they last a long time you know if if you know like rebel leagues showing up, things like that we've seen over over history. And
1: and particularly ones where it may involve legal processes, like you said, court cases. Sometimes that stuff goes on for
0: years. Exactly. So you've got to see it through, but you've also got to keep them informed with meaningful updates, not just uh, nothing to update, guys, but, you know there's nothing worse than showing them the professionalism to to inform and then to to not then let them know how it was handled and what the outcome was because they'll think it is just smoke and mirrors rather than actual integrity. So, you know, how a crisis is handled and the outcome of the management decisions, whether they're popular decisions or unpopular decisions, the wrong or the right decisions, how the process unfolded and how the management handled themselves through that is what is going to actually... Um, Play a role in the decisions the brands make.
1: So, talking about the brands, most of this has been we've got a crisis over here and it's external, you know, one way communication, i.e., we're getting on the front foot and we're informing them, we're setting a plan and we're updating them. What do we need to consider? What's happening on the other side of the fence?
0: Yeah, you need to understand the the brand's decision process. So it's always good to know the brand's corporate position on a crisis, um, allowing you sort of to communicate any potential fallout to those making decisions internally for you. So you're a a sponsorship manager or head of commercial or um, chief revenue officer and you're dealing with your sponsors but your board are the ones making decisions often in a crisis. But you need to communicate them and provide them with all the information that they know um, and they can to have make informed decisions. So knowing what the position of your biggest supporters are is important. Um, having that open line of communication in and out of your organisation is really important.
1: So what are some of those decisions that they're you know, talking about and trying to make internally?
0: So brand positioning is a is a consideration for a for a brand i mean the, the brands are either they're deciding do we do we make a public statement and take a stance on this do we ch- do we terminate our agreement do we stick strong and actually publicly support or just privately support or do we do nothing you know they're the four outcomes that a brand will follow um brand positioning is one of the c- sort of conditions around that decision so you know is the position of the brand in the market affected by the crisis and would the brand get more out of taking an early stance so some brands actually take advantage of a crisis take a moral position position themselves off the back of it leverage the crisis and leave the club out to dry Mm. so you've got to be aware of that um the, what,
1: why, the, why would they do that? Because it, surely it's not just one crisis in and in, in, in one brand positioning. I mean, surely brands aren't naive enough to know that if you sponsor somebody for long enough, they're going to have a crisis at one level or another. Is it a deeper issue of it was never really working, we weren't managed f- properly for a long time, and so this is the opportunity to pull the pin where we don't look bad?
0: Potentially. Think of um, government partnerships, um anti-drink driving campaigns or road safety campaigns where the message through the rights holder is to promote a positive message and then an athlete gets done drink driving the government often will terminate the contract and then say we've terminated because it's against our message it's actually using that crisis to further promote their message Mm there's a moral implication in that as well so that there's obviously other factors leading to that termination but the positioning is why their brand positioning is why they're there and so their brand positioning is why they also leave
1: and we've seen that recently with a uh, a state-based road safety uh, sponsorship of a football club where there'd been not just one element or one instance of a, a, a player either speeding or drink driving, there have been multiple and, and that sponsor in the end just goes, enough's enough. Yep. Right? Like this just doesn't work anymore.
0: Yeah, exactly right. That's exactly right. All right, so brand positioning? Impact. So has the brand been impacted directly or indirectly through the crisis? And will there be commercial implications on the brand? Now, if there's going to be commercial implications on the brand, that's bad. Hmm. If there's not going to be commercial implications and then not directly impacted, they're probably a lower risk of, of needing emergency management. But you know, there there also there is a risk there. Um, the third one is alignment. So does the brand still align with the rights holders with the crisis coming to light, or is there an opportunity for greater alignment if the process is managed correctly? So this is the opposite of that brand positioning one we spoke about, where. And we've seen this when there was a salary scap candle scandal here in Australia one particular brand stuck strong and stuck strong to 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 actually augment their alignment with that organization because they weren't there um, that 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 didn't impact on their business they were there for other reasons and those other reasons actually showed that th- this brand was needed more mm. through the crisis so they up there. Um, contribution to the club and up their involvement to align to the club to help them through the crisis
1: so brand positioning impact alignment any others
0: then morals so we we just touched on this a moment ago does the brand have a moral stance against the crisis you know anti-drink driving someone gets called drink driving total moral clash you know at which point retention or even immediate cancellation of the partnership is is a likely consequence so fun <laughs> it happens, but you've got to be aware of that, right? So,
1: and, and I think it's naive to assume that oh, we'll be different, we won't be different. You know, your organisation is just a small subset of a cross section of the general population, and and people slip up.
0: Exactly right, and and exa- that's exactly right. So that is, and that's understood. So people slip up. So if you can handle a crisis with integrity, you can handle a crisis professionally, and you can get on the front foot and own the own the crisis management plan, then that's actually what's going to make the difference of how it plays out because at the end of the day, people understand that people mess up sometimes mm. and as long as the action taken is appropriate uh, then and and the risk minimized, then you will actually should come out of it okay. Now, there's obviously, you know, breakers to every rule, but yeah. as I just mentioned there, the, the actual key behind it all, whilst communication is what drives it, having a plan mm. is what sort of helps you get through it
1: so you got yourself sorted internally you're you're in, in, engaging and informing with the sponsors you've told them what the plan is you've updated it you understand that they're looking at brand positioning impact alignment and the morals i'm guessing this is all happening pretty quickly and, yeah. and stuff is sometimes playing out in the media with intense scrutiny
0: Th- and that's why i said create a plan so i've i've as i just said before i've literally been in situations where things just move a million miles a minute you just you, you cannot get your head ahead of what's happening and and people make rash decisions things are forgotten, things get lost. people get forgotten. Um, people forget to be informed. the only way to 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 protect yourself against that is to have a crisis management plan to fall back on. a huge sort of um, thing that happens through sort of co- the corporate sector ca- crisis management plans. rights holders should also have one and so get onto it get get onto it and basically what it does is it it, it it just lets you fall back into a process so rather than people having to act irrationally or, or you never know the crisis might be that your key person that would normally drive this is no longer available to drive it mm. so you need to be able to fall back on it so you can never have enough planning in place and then You know, when crises do strike, the processes, the communication, all of that will be what actually helps guide you through it.
1: Very good. And uh, some really sage advice in that one. If you don't have a crisis plan, then maybe, as a minimum, head to Sponsor.net, head to the blog (laughs) section, and bookmark your blog where you can read all about this in detail. Yes. Uh, I think you will be in london when this podcast comes out so we're talking two weeks so we're roughly talking about the what's 17 plus 14 that's next month 20 oh no 17th is the uh the temperature at the moment to the 9th so about the 20.
0: that's the day i leave london about the 23rd yeah i'll be leaving london 24th uh all right so if you didn't catch
1: up with mark for a beer bad luck yeah, exactly right. All right next time i will be back that's all right okay. enjoy your trip cheers mate Tim Hodgson is Chief Commercial and Marketing Officer at Invictus Games Sydney 2018. Tim has over 17 years' experience in sponsorship, having worked at a, a number of agencies and large ones, uh, and including starting his own agency. Invictus Games competitors are the men and women who have come face to face with the reality of making a sacrifice for their country. They are mothers, fathers, husbands, ...and wives, who have put their lives on the line and have suffered life-changing injuries. These people are the embodiment of everything the Invictus game stands for. They have been tested and challenged, but they have not been overcome. They have proven they cannot be defeated. They have the willpower to persevere and conquer new heights... And the Games shines a spotlight on the sacrifices these men and women made serving their country and their tireless drive to overcome. The Invictus Games is about much more than sport. It captures hearts, challenges minds, and changes lives. And it's a fascinating story. And that's why I invited Tim Hodgson on the show to take us inside their commercial program. Here's Tim. Tim Hodgson, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. We always kick off with a few easy icebreaker questions just to get the get the answers flowing and, and the audience uh, to get to know you a little bit better and the first question I always ask is if your house was burning down and you could only take one item with you and, and apart from family and pets what would it be <laughs>
2: well uh, I'm quite a, a practical person so when I think that through I, I'm kind of thinking I've got four kids and getting them up and out of bed would take me long enough <laughs> long enough anyway so I'm not quite sure what I'd grab uh, but I guess um, being very boring and this gives you an insight into sort of who I am I'd probably grab my laptop because that's got my life on it um, and then I'd probably be wishing I would grabbed a bottle of Grange or that port that's 40 years old that yeah. I should have <laughs> remembered once I've got out the door but yeah my time would be getting a family out I reckon
1: <laughs> yeah no, you're not the first person to give the laptop answer to I think uh, a lot of people's lives live on their computers now so uh, yeah. second question is what was your first ever job?
2: First ever paid job is, actually, I remember it quite well. I was, uh, I don't know, I would have been 14 or something, and I was asked to go to the Oval Cricket Ground to be a model. <laughs> and, uh, but I didn't really know what that meant. So I rocked up, and it was the Royal Mail, and I had to swing a bat a load of times. And then I saw the picture that they took, and it was predominantly of my arse. <laughs> and, um, of me missing the cricket ball and it was for Royal Mail Special Delivery <laughs>
0: uh,
2: and, uh, and I was paid £80 for about an hour's work so I thought I had a bit of a career going <laughs> I think that is that well, definitely was the last time I was paid for modelling yeah. and definitely no career <laughs> in that
1: direction I've, uh, I've done one modelling job as well for a friend but that's definitely a story <laughs> for another day um, <laughs> Tim, what's been your experience in your career progression up to and including your current role now?
2: Uh, yeah, so i was um I used to play a lot of cricket back in the old days. um I played for Essex for about five years. Um, thought I might have at some stage been good enough, but I probably wasn't quite um, and uh, after a while, I realized that my sort of I was probably going to be a county journeyman rather than lifting the ashes for England, so um stepped out of that um, and found my way into quite fortuitously. Uh, that's probably a longer story for another day, into a sports marketing role, into a wonderful little agency called Activate UK. And that, and that agency used to help um, drive uh, young people into sport effectively through through corporate dollars. So if Lloyd's TSB sponsored the rugby, they would do a great uh, big um, secondary school programme to get young kids playing rugby, Channel 4 and the ECB, the same with cricket. Um, and I found it a wonderful um, sort of learning place for me, uh, within a passion of mine, which is sport, but learning and understanding uh, the sort of experiential marketing space. Um, and we had a saying there that was using tool as a sport for social change, which I, I kind of really liked, because some of the areas that we went into in England were really deprived areas with children who lacked the opportunity to play much sport. And, and it felt like Uh, the organisations that were funding these programmes were really kind of doing the right thing. So I like that. Um, I then moved to Australia in 2005, got an Aussie wife, um, and uh, started here with Octagon. Um, Again, sports marketing, um, maybe at the the higher end, uh, more professional sports kind of area rather rather than the grassroots sports marketing, if you like. And we did some wonderful things in those five years I had there. Um, that I'll always remember and always kind of cherish. Um, things like its Gold Beach Cricket, which we kind of instigated. Uh, yeah, I uh, remember that the concept. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was it was basically you know a bunch of uh, the greatest players that ever lived going on a beach cricket tour sponsored by Debra for <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, three weeks in January, and it, it was it was a big thing. It was produced live on TV. You know, I scribbled the rules on a piece of paper and contracted the players, and we sold it to a network, and the whole thing became. You know, um you know something that people talked about, and that's kind of what I loved about the campaigns that we did at Octagon and that I've tried to do ever since is produce work that people really talk about because much of a brand or marketing um, functions work is often you know traditional marketing that that these days is very hard to cut through and drive an emotion with. So we used to really drive hard to make sure any. Any concepts that we came up with were things that people would talk around about around their dinner table, kind of thing. Because um, you know, then you're driving some kind of engagement levels or emotion in someone that can elicit some kind of action. So we did beach cricket. We did um, Greatest Athlete for Rexona, which was oh, a TV yeah. series um, on Channel Seven and Channel Nine. Again, a brilliant, fun thing, quite challenging. We had four days a year where we could find a window that cut across all the core codes where we could get um some of the major athletes involved where they had a bit of downtime um and we took them up to a sanctuary cove or uh, wherever it was and we spent four days just just messing around making up games <laughs>
1: challenging them, yeah
2: uh, and that was really good fun we did it probably the biggest thing we did actually was a thing called great state beer delivery um which you should search and look up online it was a classic um where um, it was Spates as a Southern Island, New Zealand beer. And it's part of the Lion Nathan groups so off the back of our Forex Gold work. We got introduced to them. And they received an email from this guy in England who uh, said, who was, who's, he, sorry, this, this guy in England was sent, sent an email back to his friends in New Zealand saying, I'm loving my time overseas, but I'm missing my Spates. And that email found its way to the marketing department of Spates and found its way to the creative agency And they kind of said, we should be doing something with this. And they decided to make an ad out of it where the the general sort of theme of the ad was, we can't just send them some spates, we should send them the whole spates ale house. Uh And in New Zealand, there are these iconic spates ale houses in the Southern Islands. And we were brought into the picture to sort of help build that set for the ad. And and we kind of said, well, don't just make an ad out of it, do it it for real, you know. Uh, And... And they gradually bought into that idea, which upsized their budget a bit. But we ended up recruiting six Kiwis, which is like a weekend people flew in from around the world, um, to be the crew for this ship. We chartered a, a container ship. We built an ale house out of a couple of containers, put it on the ship, and then we sailed it from Dunedin to Samoa through the Panama Canal. Up to New York, across across London, <laughs> through the, through the Tower Bridge, and then it got uh, received by the guy who sent the email.
1: <laughs> Can I ask a question? And did you did you were you forced to accompany the boat on that trip?
2: Uh, I didn't actually. We had you know we had the luckiest intern ever who, who used to do the best, <laughs> best jobs in the world. He used to come on beach cricket tours and travel around the world on on ships with pubs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so
1: how was it received but, you know, when it arrived?
2: But it was brilliant. It was received really well. It was put on the walkabout and it, it actually traded for three months. And, and and it really, it was just one of those things, again, that the nation talked about. You know, instead of being a traditional marketing campaign, it was something that caught the the nation's attention. We've been back content into a show over there weekly showing their progress and people were engaged. We love that. Um, after Octagon... I moved to Ensemble. A guy called uh, Justin Ricketts and myself set up an agency called Ensemble within Media Brands, which was effectively trying to do the same thing as we were at Octagon. Um, you know, con- a lot of content marketing, I guess, and trying to find campaigns that drove emotions in people. And we, uh, we had a great little business there for about six years and a brilliant bunch of people doing some really challenging work. Um, we both left there last year, but it was whilst I was at Ensemble that I – um, wrote the bid with two guys from Deloitte to bring the Invictus Games over here, and that was just off the back of seeing it online, seeing Prince Harry and the Foo Fighters on stage in their closing ceremony in their 2014 games, and thinking, "Wow, what a what a wonderful thing!" And you know, is there is there any way we could bring it to Australia? And so that was kind of the start of my next journey, I guess, having been involved in that um, from within Ensemble.
1: So let's let's set the scene. A little bit. uh, First off, for those not familiar necessarily with uh, Invictus Games, what are they all about, and how did it get started?
2: Yeah, so it was. It got started from uh, Prince Harry, his his trip to the US. I think it was 2013 when he saw the Warrior Games. Now, you know, Prince Harry used to be in the services. He um, he left the services probably earlier than he would have wished to have done. And, you know, he feels very attached to those times that he spent in the services and and those that he served with. Um, And when he saw the Warrior Games, my understanding is that he really could, it was evident the power of sport and physical activity for the uh, recovery and rehabilitation of wounded engine mill service men and women. Um, And he saw it and it's a US Games focused games and he kind of felt that there was an opportunity to deliver something similar Um, that invited nations from all around the world so we could impact more people. Um, And so he went back to England, he challenged a few of his buddies and and they delivered the Invictus Games in London within a very short time period. I think it was about nine months, which is um, incredibly quick considering the scale of the games uh, and the stakeholders involved and the complications that sit around it. but it was wonderful, and they got to the end of it, and I think then they sort of realized that there was a bit of a clamor from around the world, from people like me phoning up and a few others saying, <laughs> you know, you're going to take this globally. And and so they um, quickly, you know, gathered themselves and, and, uh, and decided that, yes, it should go on, you know, it, sh- it should uh, live again and it should go around the world. So it went to Orlando in 2016. Um, last year it's going to Toronto this year in 2017 in September. And we have, um, won the rights to deliver it next year, 2018 in, in October.
1: So let's talk about the, the the growth and 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 the progression. Obviously, you know, with nine months uh, leading, they delivered a fantastic event. But it's it's certainly, as you said, been uh, taken around the world. Um, and we know Toronto and Sydney haven't occurred yet. But what sort of competitor numbers are you projecting? Um, and, and what sort of economic impact and, and things like that does the games bring to a city? Yeah,
2: yeah. So the numbers, I mean. It, it's it's it, they go up and down a little bit, so it's not necessarily in a massive growth trajectory. And I think one of the key um, uh, considerations is to ensure that it doesn't um, become unwieldy and, and and become too big uh, to allow it to continue on into the future. You know, it is it is what it is. It, it can never be an Olympic Games or an Ocom Games where the budget to deliver it is. Is so large that um, uh, that it restricts uh, the the capability to deliver future games. So we're trying to we're trying to keep it to a sustainable size. Um, our games will have around 500 competitors here from 18 nations. Uh, each competitor gets to bring two uh, members of their family or friends with them, and that's a really important thing for us. It's not just about uh, the competitors and their own journeys to recovery themselves, um, but also about supporting their support network, if you like, and uh, those that have um, helped them through, you know, challenging times, whether they're um, struggling with mental illnesses or, or physical disabilities. Um, and so we, you know, truly look after and support and thank the family and friends of those competitors. We'll have um I would I would we envisage around a thousand volunteers to help us deliver the games, which is a, a brilliant thing. Um back to the Olympics. You know, many I sadly wasn't here in two thousand for the Sydney Olympics, but um when you ask people why it was so great, very often it was to do with the volunteers and how they um uh, I guess looked after um fans and guests of the of the games. Um, So I think that's a big thing for us. We'll probably have around 75,000 spectators across the week. Um, So, you know, our stadia aren't huge. Uh, There are a number of sessions involved. Um, For example, we're in in a lot of our sports, our our sort of marquee sports are in the sports centre out at Homebush, the wheelchair rugby, the wheelchair basketball. That's 4,000 odd people um, per session, which will be a wonderful atmosphere indoors there, but it's not a huge number per session. Uh, but across the week, we hope that 75,000 people will be able to see, feel, touch, witness the games. Um, but of course, the audience, is, is we hope, is going to be much, much greater. Um, we're talking to networks at the moment. Um, there's there's international interest from those nations that have hosted games already to take the games back um, from a broadcast point of view and show them in their countries. Um, so I think really, whilst the games is... You know, the the first ripple, if you like, of of effect is is for those veterans that are competing. Really, it's about inspiring the broader mental and physical disability community to um, go about their recovery in the same way that the competitors are. And that is to uh, get up, get active, um, um, have a focus on a goal and reach out to your support network are probably the key messages um, and the key inspirations that come from Those
1: that are competing in the games. You spoke uh, a minute ago about broadcasters potentially looking to take it back to past host cities, and you talk about inspiring other people with disabilities. Is changing the location of the games each year mostly focused about opening up opportunities to competitors in other parts of the world, or do you find that competitors compete at multiple games? So, you know, London, Toronto, then on to Sydney.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I guess it's all started from the fact that, that Prince Harry wanted to take a concept uh, that sat within the U.S. to the world. Um, and so, yes, it is about reaching and touching more people around the world. Um, and, and actually, every host nation gets the ability to invite one new nation. Uh, so it has expanded in terms of the number of nations that have been taking part year on year. Um Do competitors compete in multiple games? Yes, they have done. Um, There's a slight uh, sort of unwritten rule that competitors shouldn't compete in more than three games. Um, And that kind of talks to the fact that um, by that time, that individual should have really uh, used um, the games as a stepping stone to something bigger and better in life. And that's what they're for. Um, It's about... um, it's about ensuring that um, you use the power of the games and the opportunity that's given to you, and uh, through training and being part of a team and representing your country again, to actually rehabilitate and reintegrate back into society. So once you've competed in the Invictus Games, you're always, you know, part of that part of that amazing family that's, that's competed. But I think, you know, after a little time. You're going to find another role within the games to support those that are that might benefit more from being part of the next games, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a fantastic way to, to put it, and a real onus on mm. the competitors that you know their recovery is a journey. Uh, yeah. Are you allowed to share who Australia is going to invite to the games?
2: Um, no, I'm okay. not actually. Fair enough. <laughs> it's just hap- it's just being finalised at the moment, so it will be, I'm sure, announced in the coming. Weeks or, or months or so, no. uh, but can't can't
1: quite yet. No problem. Uh, Invictus Games is an event based partnership model. Are the partnerships carried across from games to games, or the, or is, or is it really just a start a game with a with a, a blank slate or a clean slate and localized by the host nation?
2: Yeah, a bit of both. Um, so there are some partners who have been with the games since twenty fourteen that are hopefully going to come on board here in Sydney um, and have been involved in Orlando and will be in Toronto. Um, And I guess each games, you know, it feels like there's one or two new partners that come on board that then look towards the next games or having a longer term partnership globally with the games. So that's really great. Um, It kind of brings, um, you know, a nice foundation of partners who have uh, a, a great kind of, Global um, alignment, uh, knowledge base from previous games, and a real passion for what the games is all about, and the purpose and the gender items that sit behind it. But then, of course, we're you know we're looking to global part uh, sorry local partners to help um, uh, fill fill the gaps in the in the sponsorship tiers, I guess, um, and that's what where we're looking at the moment. So we've been going really as a as a local organising committee since about the end of January, and we've had some wonderful conversations in the last. Four months or so, um, and hopefully we'll be able to make some really positive announcements about um, in relation to, to local partners that are going to be coming on board for our own games, which will be brilliant. And, yep. and a number of those may well then go on and sponsor or we'll be a part of uh, the games over in, in London that, that will come after our games.
1: Certainly sounds like you're making significant progress on on that front. How do you go about researching? Prospective sponsors what are some of the steps and, and and what are you trying to understand before you go and speak to some of those partners that might be as you put it filling the gaps a little bit
2: yeah I think it's it's about it's about having for me you know put it really simply it's about um, finding partners that are aligned in purpose in some way shape or form um, now there's there's some obvious and some less obvious ones but um, I think, you know, from a purpose point of view, if you look at what we're really trying, trying to achieve, we're trying to uh, support that rehabilitation and reintegration um, of, of, our, of our veterans. Um, underlying that, there are some longer term legacy initiatives that we are hoping uh, to instigate, support, drive uh, that will ensure that we have a really long term impact beyond the games. So we're, so we're a local organizing committee that will effectively you know um wrap up or, or certainly change shape post our games in in november 18 um, but if there's really going to be some great long-term impact that's driven off the back of this brilliant opportunity that we've got it's actually got to be driven by our partners so they've got to want to do it and they've got to be got to have some kind of focus on you know on, on driving that impact and and the areas that we look at are, there's, there's, there's a, you know, mental health issues are, are high on the agenda in Australia at the moment, not just in veterans, but it's a significant challenge with veterans, particularly with PTSD, but in broader society. I mean, there's been a lot on TV recently about Olympians or sports people that are that um, struggle uh, when they're coming to the end of their career or, or coming back from the Olympics. Um, and first responders, very similar issues. Um, with PTSD uh, and, and you know, the broader community. And so if we can use the games to inspire and drive awareness of um, mental health challenges um, in the community and, and, and the, the challenges of physical disability, I think that would be a great thing. So we're looking to partners who, who can help us uh, raise the profile of, of those agenda items. Adaptive sport, we are a sports program. So, so those that are interested in helping us drive more people into adaptive sports, um, you know, we are really all about the power of sport. Um, that's where the game started. So there's a brilliant adaptive sports program that's run from within, uh, the ADF. Um, and it's only started recently. So they have, you know, a certain number of uh, people registered to that program, but we want to really help boost those figures moving forward. So drive awareness of that program. Um, There's an education piece that I think Toronto are doing very well. They've got a a, a, um, number of lesson plans that are being pushed out through all their schools, through Toronto, which is brilliant, that talk about um, the uh, sacrifice and the service of those that have been um, in the armed forces, the challenges of mental and physical disability, the power of sport to uh, support rehabilitation, uh, and the, and you know the the role that the games can have, and if we can do something over here throughout our education system, I think that would be really exciting and something again that partners can help drive. And finally, actually, one of the really one of the areas that a lot of our corporates are are quite involved in and invested in is is helping um, find uh, meaningful employment for um, our veterans, and that that's a key piece for reintegration. So ensuring that um, those that have served have uh, the ability to upskill, uh, re-educate, um, understand their transferable skills, and find meaningful roles that um, give them a focus, you know, and, and feel part of the community again. is is key, and there are some some a, a number of big initiatives that are that are happening at the moment within the corporate world that will be announced quite soon that align very closely to one of the core. Um, legacy initiatives, you know, that we want to help drive and leave behind through the game. So, finding that purpose alignment, I think, is is really important. Um, you know, for us, I think, you know, the major corporations in Australia who have um, who have the ability to speak to a huge number of people on a local, you know, and even individual level, but on a national scale, I think that's a really uh, nice alignment for us to ensure that we can drive our message you know because effectively that's what we are here to do is drive a message uh, and drive some inspiration and so partners that can help us do that um, I think uh, will be you know valuable to the games um, and there are others you know others that can provide skill sets to the games to so people across um, provide logistical and operational support nearer the games so uh, it's been interesting and and I guess it's you know finding our way to the right people is is all about, as you say, a bit of research into really why why it would make a difference to that organisation or or um, where the where that soft spot and uh, common value lies between the games and those partners
1: and in doing that, do you think that you know your experience, particularly on the on the agency slash brand side, with you as those things you mentioned before, which I forgot to say, we'll put some links in the show notes. So things like the Forex Beach Cricket, the Rexona Greatest mm. Athlete, and the Spates Beer <laughs> Delivery. Do you mm. think that experience helps you when you're researching potential partners, and particularly when you go and 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 see them? Do you think that experience helps you?
0: Um,
2: I think in general, my my experience of wanting to. Uh, Being passionate about um, delivering marketing initiatives or sponsorship programs leverage activities that drive emotion in people is is possibly where I'm really aligned to this thing. You know, it's it's really why I got involved in it in the first place. And I'm not a salesman, so I'm I'm not, I don't don't, (laughs) other people might say say differently after they've had a meeting with me, but I will go into an organization confident that there's some value that organization can get out of the games or really good alignment purpose and just talk passionately about the games and and you know, if people get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. But but it's 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 very hard not to have a really positive conversation with people about the games. Um and it's been really kind of heartening to have all these conversations with the corporate sector who predominantly look at it and virtually everyone would like to play a role in it in some shape or form. Turning that into a structured partnership and you know and, and coming on board officially obviously then has you know, a number of, uh, you know, hurdles and challenges and uh, and that's you know, I guess, you know, where, where we're at with a number of people now is just making sure it all lines up properly, that there's a value proposition there and then it gets signed off internally and all that sort of stuff is, you know, that's the process. But that's great. Um, but there's a, a lot of goodwill towards it and there's a lot of intent by a lot of people to get involved, which is nice.
1: Yeah, oh, my next couple of questions were going to be uh, around, uh, you know, the cause-related aspect of Invictus Games and whether you actually approach sponsorships differently as opposed to, you know, maybe standard sponsorships where they're just aligned to a, a sport. And even if you're finding it easier to start initial conversations with sponsors, is there anything really to add on that front, do you think?
2: Um Starting conversations is, is quite easy with this one um, because because of what it is. I think. I mean, if I'm if I'm blunt, Prince Harry helps open up a few doors.
1: Um, I've got a question know, a about people, him later.
2: <laughs> so, but he. I mean, he, He's. You know, it, I guess he, what he's he does for us is he he drives that awareness piece. You know, and a, and a huge number of Australians are already aware of the game. It's over 60%, I think, um, which is amazing, really. Um, and that's predominantly because, you know, Harry's really got behind it, and, and that's fantastic. Um, but that's only the, you know, that, that, that's, that's the sort of shake the hands and open the door and let's have a chat about it. But but um, beyond that, I think the difference really is the fact that this is more than just a sponsorship or marketing campaign, where we've had probably the richer conversations and those that evolve uh, faster is when you when you can look across the whole business and and see it as an opportunity to wrap the whole business into a partnership like this so you know those organizations with thousands or tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of employees you know see it as a great HR opportunity for to really drive internal culture uh, for workplace giving programs for uh, volunteering for um, and uh, other ways of, of helping kind of get your, your team behind something that is, that is you know, truly emotive and uh, inspiring. There's CSR. CSR for me is a bit of a funny term. I feel like it's a little bit outdated maybe. But, but you know, there is, um, you know, some, you know, corporate social responsibility kind of discussions going on here. And I think it's probably more with those brands that, it more than just a tick box on the website, um, old-fashioned CSR, if you like, more towards you know social impact marketing. So realizing that if you do the right thing for people, um, and if you support the community that you're you know that you're serving, then value will flow back. And and um, so you know in that area, I think is is a really interesting discussion. There's, and then there's some really strong government links or defence links. Uh, corporate network that will be kind of wrapped around this and other stakeholders that people would like to be in, involved with. It, it, it lifts it slightly up above from just a traditional sponsorship discussion, I think. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's good on one hand. I think there's a lot more benefit for organisations to be involved in just traditional sponsorship metrics and, and valuing those. But then it means, you know, you've got to align the whole business to and uh, ensure that, you know, the impact is driven across the whole business if you want to have that longer-term meaningful involvement in something
1: like this. Yeah, I think the thing that strikes me there as you talk is that, and you talk about traditional sponsorships, is that sometimes they can be, and that's okay if it delivers what the sponsor and, and the rights holder wants, but they can be seen as very transactional. I'm guessing that there would be very few what we might call transactional sponsorships around Invictus Games
2: yeah that's right. I think it's um you know tangible versus intangible value, isn't it and and there's there's some tangible value in this. Um, you know we're only we're only we're still going through the process and, of you know speaking to networks so we haven't got a network locked in, whereas you know if you're you're selling something else, the com games and market, for instance, you know there's there's some you know um, traditional values and and tangible values that you can assigned to that it's a little bit harder with us so that's where you know you do look at the broader sort of impact that can be driven for your own business i think um and you have to make a call on that whether you want to be involved or not and and um uh predominantly i think you know that there's there's yeah as i say there's some great discussions going on but it's a slightly harder one to value for a partner coming on board so that's what we're trying to help help do at the moment
1: Prince Harry founded the Games, as we discussed before, and he's heavily involved obviously as the as the patron. How, on the commercial front, do you leverage his involvement and specifically, are there any benefits that Prince Harry is actually attached to? So, I don't know, for example, uh, bo- attending boardroom lunches or giving um, talks to employees?
2: Yeah, he's um, he's brilliant. Um, as you've probably seen in the media, he's coming out here to, to help us launch uh, our games in, in a few weeks time, and you know he does so um, through passion, really. You know it's 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 he wants to be here. He's here for two days and he heads back. It's 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 wonderful, and, and you know he's 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 been at all the previous games for, for the whole thing, and he just wants to be here and involved. And predominantly, he wants to be very competitive focus competitive focus. Sorry, um, you know it's all about the competitors for him. It's all about driving real um, change in people's lives. Um, and that's great he's he's not really a, a, a commercial asset for us um, you know we have to be careful um, with that obviously um, but as I say before he brings with him a huge amount of uh, awareness of the games he brings a lot of media with him and really what you know our role is is to divert that back to Um, the cause and the competitors and the reason for doing this in the the first place and that gives us a really powerful foundation platform for us to deliver this longer term uh, individual change for these for these competitors but also hopefully broader societal change across um, those suffering from mental and physical disabilities Uh, if that if that answers the question.
1: No, I think it does. I think it's it strikes from what you said strikes a great balance between using the, for one of a better phrase, the the star power and the pool without, you know, actually trying to get him to go to boardroom lunches and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Tim. Yeah. Obviously, there's a there's a focused amount of time for when the games are actually on and and they're running and and sponsors and the community are, are highly engaged during that period. However, how are you looking to expand engagement outside of when the games are actually on?
2: Yeah, it's funny. I actually look at the games as just one point in time. Um, And, you know, the games themselves in Australia will be wonderful, you know, that the um, eight days from opening ceremony to closing ceremony on the 20th to the 27th of October next year they'll be brilliant, you know, everything will be on display, It'll they'll be inspiring, there'll be goosebumps, there's a lot of emotion watching, you know, these these men and women competing because you're not really watching to see who wins a gold medal, you're not actually, there is no medal tally between uh, nations, so it's actually all about individuals' challenges with themselves um, and it's about the story of each person getting to the start line rather than whether they win a medal or not. Um, so it 's really quite an emotional viewing experience whether us live or on t v but they are just a point in time, and actually, I see us achieving as much over the next fifteen how uh, long till our games now it's nearly five hundred days our launch is is' it's about five hundred and twenty days till our games um and over those five hundred and twenty days that's where we want to make sure that we drive a lot of impact so that is you know that that there'll be pulses of activity that happen um that start with our launch in, in early June, that then go on to the Toronto Games in September. Um, our year to go, we'll, we'll, we'll have a lot of um, uh, coverage around our year to go. We'll integrate into programming uh, on our network. We will have you know calls for volunteers, ticket sales, et cetera, et cetera, all opportunities for us to raise the profile of... Um, of what we're doing and who we're trying to support, and why we're doing it. And that'll be through communication directly from us. And that'll be hopefully with um, some wonderful corporate partners that will help us communicate to their own audiences. So it isn't actually about the 10 days. It's about the journey between now to the games. And it's about what we can do during that time to help set up initiatives that will live way beyond our games um, And and not forgetting that the games don't finish in 18. They then will go back to London. It it sounds likely that they'll go back to London. Um, And we'll have a team here in Australia and we'll be able to keep, you know, um, leveraging um, our association with the games through the team to make sure that we're still um, supporting our, our veterans and helping inspire the broader community.
1: With those crossover, you're going to have your launch before Toronto actually occurs, and then there'll be crossover as um, potentially the games go back to London, etc. What sort of yeah. handover, lessons learned, those sorts of things will you receive from the Toronto 2017 commercial team?
2: Yeah, it's actually it's of course it's very useful having had you know two games already and one and, and a game is between now and ours. Um, So we'll actually a few of us will head out to Toronto, which will be lovely, and we'll we'll be able to, you know, see everything we need to see and and, um, get a full download and handover from the Toronto Games. Um, But you know, it hasn't that won't just doesn't just happen in September. We've been speaking to them, you know, at different levels and across different functions um, for a long time now. So they've been very supportive, um, as have the Invictus Games Foundation in the UK. And so they, we tap into the Invictus Games Foundation to 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 pick up on key learnings and thoughts and and you know pick brains and bounce ideas off them to ensure that we're on the right track. Um, and you know so it's it's nice from that point of view that we're not the first. <laughs> <laughs> and there's still and there's there's actually a physical games for us all to go and see uh, and learn from between now and ours. Uh, and it's a it's a key part of key part of our planning really and, and we're you know actually planning our trip to toronto quite carefully to make sure that we learn everything we can bring back all the great bits uh, and learn from those uh, little bits and pieces that we could tweak up for our games or, or localize in a different way to australia
1: all very exciting tim if people want to get in touch with you and find out more about invictus games what can they do
2: uh, I'd love to hear from anyone who likes to be involved. Um, what is the best way? LinkedIn is often the easiest way uh, to drop me a message on LinkedIn. Uh, my email address, if you can remember it off here, is thodgsoninvictusgames2018.org. Uh, they're probably the two best ways, but yeah, it would be wonderful to hear from anyone who has. An interest in the games, you know, whatever that may be, um, because we are trying to be as inclusive as we possibly can. We're only a small team, so it's it's sometimes hard to get back to everyone quickly because this thing does draw people into it, which is the, one of the brilliant things about it. Um, but we will endeavour to do so. Our team is growing and, and yeah, love to hear from anyone who's, who's interested or passionate about the games and the cause that we're trying to support.
1: Tim Hodgson, Chief Commercial and Marketing Officer, thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at Invictus Games.
2: Thank you very much, Sam. Appreciate it.
1: Cracking interview, that one. And luckily enough, next year's Games are in Sydney, very close to sponsor of HQ, so I'll be sure to be making an effort to get along and experience as much of uh, the wonderful event that I can. Thanks again to Tim for spending some time with us. Tim is extremely busy and it took us a little while to uh, tee up and find a time that works for both of us. But I'll... I think you'll agree it was definitely worth the wait. Now, Tim mentioned a a few cool brand partnerships and activations that he's been a part of, uh, including Forex Beach Cricket, Rexona Greatest Athlete, and Spates Beer Delivery uh, that uh, you would have heard in the interview. Um, And if you want to find out more about those, uh, just head along to Sponserve.net because I put links and embedded videos uh, to those projects in the show notes for you so that you can check them out. Thanks again to Jane and Richard for getting in contact and saying hi. Very much appreciated. And if you yourself haven't sent us a message, then please do so. We'd just love to hear from you and find out whereabouts in the world you are listening to the show. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at danielatsponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at Sponserve. And, of course... You can connect with Mark Thompson on LinkedIn or email Mark using mark sponsor.net And lastly, if you haven't already, do us a favor, head along to iTunes and leave us a review. It certainly makes us feel special, but more importantly, it helps others just like you find the show and, and learn from others in the industry. And that's what this show is all about. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship.
0: Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs and resources, head to Sponserve.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn.